0: Hey, but right now, what say we talk a little sports? Up ahead, the road sign. You are entering the Ozone. The Ozone. Ronnie O. and Coach Joe in the house, ready to talk us sports. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash.
1: All right, Ronnie O. and Coach Joe here in the Ozone. And uh, we've got a lot of football coming up here on Hall Communications this weekend. If you want to talk some football, give us a call, 682-1430, 682-1430. If you're technologically inclined, it's ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. And the Florida Gators are going to travel to Knoxville. They'll take on the Volunteers. 330 kickoff 1230 pregame on WONN 107.1, 1230 AM. Boston College travels to Tallahassee to take on the Seminoles Saturday night. That'll be an 8 p.m. kickoff, 6 p.m. pregame right here on WLKF, 97, 96.7 FM, 1430 a.m. And then on Sunday, the Packers travel to Tampa Bay, 425 kickoff as they take on the Bucks, 3.30 pregame, and, of course, that'll be right here on WLKF, 96.7. Coach Joe, we just mentioned Florida State, and I just saw this. Daryl Mudra, who coached the Seminoles before Bobby Bowden, passed away today. He was 93 years old, known as Dr. Victory. Of course, Seminole yeah. fans don't remember him so fondly. You know, he coached from the press box. And had he won a lot, it probably would have caught on. But he was 4-18 and at Florida State, and they weren't real happy with him. But, you know, he was very, very successful everywhere else he was. He had a 281 – he won 200 games, lost 81 Tied four, won seventy percent of his games.
2: When he took over at FSU, they were an absolute mess—the dregs, the bottom—and uh, so uh, you, you know, he—he who knows if he had stayed there longer, how it would have gone. But uh, he, he was—he he got FSU at a really bad time in the mid seventies. That was not a good place to be.
1: Well, Jones had preceded him. I can't I'm try keep trying to remember his first name, but um, he had the chicken wire. Uh, deal that they had. There was a controversy about chicken wire at Florida State. I think they were making the players run under chicken wire or something in a drill and it was uh, something controversial and they they didn't do very well under him either. Well, we got a caller on the line. Daryl, how are you, my man?
3: All right. That was Larry Jones.
1: Larry Jones, you're right. You're exactly right.
3: Oh, thank heaven for 0-11. There you go. 1974. The Gators tacked the last loss
1: on them. Uh, it was 73, I think.
2: Well, They lost 20 in a row, so there was uh, maybe 73 and 74.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think they, they had um, – I'm trying to remember. I, it was That's still the biggest Zero margin of defeat in Florida State history. The Gators beat them 49 to nothing on Florida Field. I was there, and Florida State onside kicked, and it went downhill from there.
3: Like the only thing I can tell you is I, I think it was in the late in the fourth quarter or the third quarter before they crossed midfield. Really? Yes. <laughs> I, oh, I remember quite well. That, we clinched a bowl game with that win. Went to the Tangerine Bowl, or the Tangerine Bowl came to us.
1: That's right. And it was like 15
3: degrees. <laughs> Miami of Ohio. That's exactly right.
1: You know who was played for them in that oh, game? No.
3: Ron Zook.
1: That's right. That's exactly right.
3: I don't have much time, they tell me.
1: No, we, we're up against it. Um, We've got an interview that we taped. It's going to come up in a minute. But if you want to call back after the break, you're more than welcome to.
3: I, I just want – I just the only thing I want to know is how bad is this weekend going to be?
1: Oh, it could be pretty bad. It could be pretty bad. But you know what? We were just talking about that. And sometimes when everybody says you have no chance – it inspires the team who has no chance. Much like Texas against Alabama, even though they didn't win the game, they certainly came close.
3: Well, this is a weekend for inspirations because we're going to, based upon what's happened in the last couple of weeks, we're going to need it.
1: <laughs> I totally we're going to need it badly. Totally agree.
3: If the, If it goes this bad the rest of the season, could we see a coach that only lasts one year?
1: No, no, I don't think so. I think – They'll give him longer. Now, I think people realize that the cupboard was pretty bare when he got there. Daryl, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, if you want to call back after the bottom of the hour, we'd love to have you.
3: That's fine. All okay. Right.
1: Thanks, Daryl. All right. Well, you're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone and Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF.
4: This is Leon Searcy Jr., former Miami Hurricane, Pittsburgh Steeler, and Jacksonville Jaguar. You are listening to Ronnie O. and Coach Joe in the Ozone.
0: The Ozone on right now. Ronnie O. and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. Hey, earlier in the week, Ronnie and Joe caught up with Paul Gedling. He's the voice of the Tennessee Volunteers.
1: It's our distinct pleasure to have with us the voice of the Tennessee Volunteers, Mr. Bob Kessling. Bob, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe.
4: Thanks. Good to be out to you guys today.
1: Uh, how excited is the Tennessee Volunteer Nation up there? They got to be licking their chops. Double-digit favorites over the Florida Gators coming in, and uh, got to be thinking that they got a win in their pocket.
4: Well, you know, there's <laughs> this series has been wild, and a lot of times the teams that have been double-digit favorites in this game uh, since the 90s sometimes don't win this game. And I think that coach Josh Heupel has reminded his guys that uh, you still got to go out there and play and you, you can't make mistakes. They had 11 penalties in the game last week. You can't do that this week. If you want to win, you can't turn the ball over, can't make mistakes. And, uh, and I think he's really emphasized to his team. You know, Florida still has a lot of good players and, uh, and they've got a dangerous quarterback. And so you've got to go play the game. But for the fans' standpoint, the people are going nuts already. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's been building. <laughs> uh, it's been building and building and building. The, the stadium will be sold out on Saturday and hard ticket to get. And I think you're right. I think people here uh, kind of sense this could be the year that you end the streak and years of frustration to Florida. But I think the coaching staff is telling us, guys, you still got to go play this game and you, you better play well because you know that uh, you're going to get Florida's best shot. You, get, you, you need to go win this game.
1: Well, no doubt about it. And to pour a little gas onto the enthusiastic fire, college game day is going to be there. So I know the Tennessee fans will turn out for that. And, uh, Bob, I understand that you have a superstition about games and you have your lucky underwear. Is that correct?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. <clears throat> I've, I've got a better uh, superstition. uh Lindsey Nelson, who, of course, was the great uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster. He used to do games for CBS and Notre Dame and all those. Uh, he always r- reminded me that uh, when you're doing games, you're going to work. So don't show up in a tank top and a pair of <laughs> dolphin shorts. You know? just, just show, show up like you're ready to go to work. So uh, so I, I, I always wear a coat and tie when I do game, even though I'm on the radio. And I don't wear a tie that has a loss in it. So if the, if the team loses, uh, you won't see that orange tie again. So unfortunately the last 10 years, I've gone through a bunch of orange ties, but, uh, I never wear one that's got a loss in it. So, uh, the, the one I got on right now, has got three wins in it. I hope that keeps going for a while. But, uh, it was funny. Mike Hamilton was, um, uh, our, when he was our athletic director, he told me the story that, uh, there was a banquet and, uh, one of the the managers of the football team had a really good looking tie on. And Mike was kind of a close, still is kind of a close hound. So he went up to the guy and looked at it and it was like a Neiman Marcus tie, orange tie. He said, man, that's really a good looking tie. Where'd you get that? He said, I got it out of the trash can at Notre Dame when Kessling threw it away. After- <laughs> 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 so, there's, oh, a, there's several ties that have never made it back to uh, Knoxville after tough losses. And uh, probably there were a bunch of them down there in Gainesville that never made their <laughs> way back to Knoxville. So anyway, but, uh, but I do wear um, um, a big Boston Celtic fan. So I wear Celtic underwear for every game. And then I have my lucky orange tie, which uh, hopefully it'll be lucky on Saturday.
1: All right. Well, how healthy
4: are the Vols? Well, that's a question. I, I, you know, they now, as you guys know, these coaches, Keep their injury reports. Not like the NFL where they've got to publish. You know who's injured and who's not playing. Uh, these coaches keep it right to the vest, and and Josh Heupel is one of the uh, the best at that. He doesn't give you any kind of information at all. Um, so whether Cedric you know, Tillman is going to play Saturday or not, we don't know yet. Uh, you know a lower leg injury. They won't tell you if it's a knee or if it's an ankle, but he's got a lower leg injury, so he might not go. Jabari Small injured his shoulder. Um, in the second play of the game, uh, the the word is that he has practiced this week, so you know he might be able to go. But still, that's that's probably a game time decision. And and Dylan Sampson uh, kind of banged up his ankle uh, against Akron, and uh, but apparently he's practicing too. So, um, but just because they're out there doesn't mean they're going to play. So uh, I, I don't know if anybody really knows right now. This is only Wednesday, so they've still got a couple of days. I would think that if you can walk and uh, move your arms, you play in this game. I mean, it's just the way it is. So I would, I would kind of expect that those guys are anywhere near 100% that they'll be playing on Saturday. And Tillman, obviously, is a huge um, part of this offense. And, um, you know, it's, he's, he's such a great story. He, um, he really was just a guy for three years. He, only, he caught eight passes in his first three years combined here at Tennessee. And then he gets in this Josh Heupel offense, and they feature him as a wideout. And last year, he had, has over a thousand yards in receiving; he caught sixty-four balls. I mean, it's it's, uh, and he's developed into now an NFL receiver, and it's all from confidence and just uh, the coaching staff having faith in him. But uh, he's emerged as the leader on this team, and so he's very valuable to him uh, in the passing game. So they're uh, hoping to have him healthy and ready to go on Saturday, and uh, he'll be a big. A key for Tennessee if he can go.
2: We're talking with Bob Kessling, Director of Programming of the Vol Network and Voice of the Vols since 1999. Uh, talking about this week's game with the Gators at Tennessee this Saturday uh, from Knoxville. Uh, Bob, it's great having you on the show. Coach Joe here. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, in watching the Gators the last uh, the first three games of the season, uh, Utah and South Florida had success running the ball, Kentucky had success running the ball in the second half of that game. Uh, now, against Pitt, when Tennessee had to go into overtime, it seemed like it was just about you know, Hendon Hooker making plays. Is that mm-hmm. sort of the, the intent here, let him, let him run, try to run the ball on the Gators, try to control it, or, do, or does uh, Tennessee believe that it, it can uh, have success through the air against the Gator defense?
4: Well, Josh Heupel's philosophy is they want to run it first, uh, get you to put guys in the box, and then they spread you out from sideline to sideline, and you've got to you've got to spread your whole secondary out to cover. You got to cover the boundaries because they run you know they run go patterns from the boundary, and so if you don't have guys over there, which what does that do, coach? That opens up the middle of the field, and so uh, it's Hendon Hooker has been amazing, and you'll appreciate this. He has gone 187 passes without an interception, which is a school record which is amazing. He only he had three interceptions last year, one of those in this first game that he got in against Pittsburgh, and then he had one against Alabama and one against Georgia, but three on the season, 39 touchdown passes to three interceptions. That's pretty remarkable. Wow. And he hasn't thrown an interception this year. And uh, he is very good at his accuracy. You know, his dad was a quarterback. He's got a brother who's a quarterback. And um, one of the reasons he won the job, you know, he didn't win the job last year, if you guys remember uh, during training camp, and he didn't win it in fall camp. You know, Joe Milton comes in from Michigan, and Milton is a freak-type athlete. I mean, he he can throw the ball 70 yards with just flicking it. I mean, he's got one of the biggest arms I've ever seen any quarterback anywhere. And, and Joe legitimately won the job last year in fall camp, and then it didn't translate very well to the uh, game field, and then he got kind of banged up in the Pittsburgh game. And then Hendon got his chance, and one thing that the, the players did when Hendon, you know, he came in here from Virginia tech fully expecting that, you know, this is his job. He's going to, he's going to be the starting quarterback. And then Milton shows up and beats him out. Well, Hendon didn't sit around and pout and threaten to go in the transfer of the uh, portal and uh, didn't mope around and, you know, be a malcontent. He just went to coach Heupel and says, what do I have to do to get on the field? And coach Heupel told him, and he did that. And then when he got his opportunity uh, took advantage of it, but You'll, you'll see on Saturday, he doesn't put the ball in harm's way very often. He doesn't throw into coverage. Uh, he takes safe passes, and then he takes his shots down the field. And um, so they why they do have you – know, Josh Heupel has this reputation as a mad scientist out there throwing the ball all over the place. He really wants to run it. And um, so he, he just kind of sees um, how you line up. And um, if the numbers are good um, for him to run the ball, and that's what he's going to do. So uh, it's kind of an interesting offensive concept the way he has. But so many teams will just continue to stack the box to try and stop the run. And then you got a lot of one-on-one coverage on the outside. And for the most part, because uh, they spread the offense out so wide, it just leaves the middle of the field open for tight ends right down the middle or slant patterns or all those type things. And, and Tennessee has Jalen Hyatt, who's a burner at the slot. And he can usually beat a, a strong safety. To the middle of the field, and he's he's been running wide open. So, had eleven catches against Pittsburgh, and uh, had one hundred and sixty-six yards in the last game receiving. So, Hyatt's emerged as a really good receiver too. So, it's a it's a fascinating offense to watch, and you have to you have to cover so many aspects of it, and uh, and if you don't, then he's going to put you know forty points on you and rack up about five hundred yards in total offense.
2: Well, defensively, Bob, uh, the history of this series is that the team that runs the ball best wins. With this Gator team, they're not in a position where they can throw it 30 and 40 times and be successful. They need to run. Uh, what's the Tennessee defense look like as far as stopping the run?
4: Well, I think they're better than they were last year. I think that they've got two guys off the edge in Tyler Barron and Byron Young who are really good. I mean, they're they're legitimate pass rushers. And they've got veteran guys um, – Now, I'm not saying they've got any all-ACC-type players at defensive tackle, but they've got guys that have played a lot of football. And uh, they got Juwan Mitchell back last week. He was the transfer from Texas last year that uh, got banged up and didn't play a whole lot. And he missed the first two games of this season. But he came in the game uh, on Saturday played really well. And uh, when he transferred in from Texas, he led the Longhorns in tackles uh, his last year there at Texas. So uh, he's a quality linebacker. they got two veteran safeties. Uh, and Jalen McCull- McCullough and uh, Trayvon flowers. And they do a really good job of getting everybody lined up correctly and get them in the right spot. And, you know, when you have veteran safeties, they can uh, really cover up a lot of mistakes that the guys in front of them make. So they're sure tacklers. They've, it's one of the areas that they're really better in this year. They, it's a really good tackling team. They really stress that in spring practice and in fall camp and that's paid dividends. They, they do a nice job tackling and, uh, um, in, you know, in these offenses, now they try and get you in space one-on-one and you better make a tackle or it's gonna, somebody's <laughs> yeah. band's going to be playing. And uh, exactly. But Tennessee's, Tennessee's done a really good job of, uh, being much better, uh, tackling guys. And, uh, I, I think the defense has improved now. How, how much have they been tested? I, I, am not sure, uh, you know, ball state and Akron weren't much of a test and Pittsburgh. They knocked the, uh, Starting quarterback out in the first half, and they were they were playing with their backup quarterback who got his leg hurt. So he was basically playing on one leg, and they still struggled, you know, to win that game in overtime. So uh, I, I'm not sure how much this defense has been tested yet, but I would think that Florida will have some wrinkles up their uh, sleeve to throw at Tennessee on Saturday.
1: Bob, I f- was looking down the Tennessee roster, and I found a very interesting name that there's got to be a story to number 21. Navy Shuler, of course, the son of Keith yeah. Shuler. Um, yeah. Is there a story behind that name?
4: Well, uh, about Navy? Is that I, the Vol
1: Navy? Is that how the name came no,
4: about? No, I don't think that's... I, you know, his uh, his wife, Nicole, used to be an intern for me when I was over at Channel 10, and uh, so I know Nicole and Heath real well. I don't think I've ever asked him that question. I don't know where Navy came from.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, I,
4: I really don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I should know that. But I, but I don't. But it's nice to have him. He's wearing 21, just like his dad did. And uh, and you know they're doing a really nice thing too. They're uh, they're selling those Shuler jerseys uh, at one of the local outlets here. And they're donating the profits to the uh, Boys and Girls Club here in town. Very so, nice. Uh, Very nice. That's one of those nil deals that's worked out really well. And uh, Navy wants to be, um, you know, uh, own his own business one day. So this is his first trek into business. But uh, I'll, next next time I see him, I'll have to ask him. I'm sure I've asked Keith the question, <laughs> but I, don't, I can't remember what he said. Bob, we you know, would be a anyway, I don't know that if
1: we didn't mention the fact that uh, you were retiring after this year and uh I well, wait you've...
4: whoa 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 back up back up that's not right
1: no it's not
4: no no that that i was uh i, I had a knee problem this summer and uh and so i, I had had a couple uh, surgeries on my knee so i was laid up most of the summer and was you know wasn't around or wasn't in the office and one night i started getting phone calls from a bunch of different people and they're saying, Bob, congratulations on your retirement. <laughs> My retirement. I'm sorry. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not retiring. Well, uh, we don't want
2: I'm, you to I'm, retire, not, Bob. We, we, we so no, we heck, still enjoy I've, listening I've been, to you.
4: <laughs> I've been waiting for the basketball team under Barnes to get to the Final Four and the football team to win an SEC championship. I'm not going anywhere right now. Uh,
1: so. Bob, we've only got about a minute left. You got a Peyton Manning story for us you can tell?
4: Oh, man. Um, Peyton, Jeez, You know – he, uh, I wasn't doing the games when he was playing. I was covering him when I was at Channel Ten. I, one of the one of my favorite stories is uh, when he was a freshman. You know, he came in here uh, with uh, Brandon Stewart, I remember that. freshman, and then Jerry Colquitt was our starting quarterback. Well, they go out to the Rose Bowl, and um, and Culker gets hurt seven plays into that game, and suddenly Peyton and Brandon are are battling for the starting job. Um, so David Cutcliffe tells the story that they get out there and they're running wind sprints during, you know, when, after after Colker got hurt, you know, they're running wind sprints. And uh, so uh, after it was after a morning practice. And um, so Peyton, uh, you know, Coach Cutcliffe was standing out at the 40-yard line and had some graduate assistant coaches at the goal line. And uh, Peyton told Coach Cutcliffe to go in and uh, start working on practice for the afternoon because... Um, all his guys, there's nobody going to be in his huddle in the uh, in the Alabama game that's not going to be touching the line. We're all going <laughs> to touch the line. Oh. And and he said, so uh, we're going to be line touchers. And so that and that you know that that impact he had on the team that kind of rubbed off. And that's that's kind of the way Peyton was. You know, he he was a great leader. And uh, so um, you know, so consumed with being prepared. And oh yeah, no doubt.
1: Bob, unfortunately, we're games. about out of time. Thank you so much. Glad to hear that you're not retiring. And yeah. we definitely <laughs> appreciate you.
4: If you something I don't, let me know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we sure appreciate you taking time.
4: Okay, guys. Always good to talk to you. Enjoy right. the game Saturday.
2: Thank you, Bob. appreciate it.
4: Okay.
5: Hi, everybody. This is Tommy Lasorda with the Los Angeles Dodgers, former manager and now advisor to the chairman of the board, Uh, You're listening to Ronnie, Ocean, and the Ozone.
0: Ronnie O, Coach Joe, in the Ozone. Talk Radio 96.7. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied scrap processors, turning scrap metal into cash. Let's do it, Ronnie O. All right, Tommy Lasorda would have been his birthday today, would have been 95.
1: Of course, the Hall of Fame baseball manager, the greatest ambassador baseball's probably ever had. He managed the Dodgers to World Series wins in 81 and 88, 88 being extremely improbable. You remember 81 was Fernando mania back in 1981 when he just came out of nowhere throwing that screwball. I think he had like eight starts and five shutouts to begin his his year
2: well, you know, eighty one was a strike year too, and uh, that was the year that I got to Dodger Stadium and I got to see a game right after the strike ended in in August of nineteen eighty one. And Fernando was the starting pitcher that day. Oh I man, got to experience the full Fernando mania. <laughs> he was
1: rookie of the year and Cy Young Award winner. Yeah.
2: And in that World Series, uh, he was pitching. It might have been the playoff games. He was he was he was pitching a game, and they just the sort of just left him in. I would have loved to have asked Tommy about it. He just left him in there. I mean, he was in all sorts of jams, and he just kept working his way out of it. He was, <laughs> uh, he's never seen anybody quite like Fernando before or since. Oh,
1: yeah. You got an Aaron Judge update for us?
2: Yeah, speaking of amazing ball players, you know Aaron Judge has 60 home runs on the season uh, after 148 games that ties the best season that Babe Ruth ever had. It's one behind the American League record of 61 held by Roger Maris, which was set 61 years ago in 1961. And here in game number 149, Aaron Judge uh, is at home against the Red Sox tonight. He has been up twice, and he has walked twice. No score in the game. In the bottom of the fifth, he may come up this inning, or if he doesn't, he'll come up again in the sixth. He'll come up a lot because the Yankees have been batting him leadoff for the last few days to try to get him those extra at-bats. But uh, two walks tonight. His last at-bat yesterday against the Pirates was a walk. So three straight walks. Nobody wants to give up that 61st home run.
1: Nobody wants to be Tracy Stollard who gave up Maris's 61st home run. He was a Red Sox pitcher back in 1961 that was also in Yankee Stadium when that happened and uh you know I don't know why I was looking up steals of home Babe Ruth stole home 10 times I mean the image you have of Babe Ruth is a guy who couldn't run and yet he stole home 10 times Gehrig 15 times
2: I wonder how many of those were with with the Red Sox you know Ruth was was very athletic we All the footage we have of him, he was a little bit older and bigger and didn't run so well then. uh. I guess
1: Matthew Brady didn't have his camera in Boston.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ruth is the only player, I believe this is the only player in history to ever end a World Series by being caught stealing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He um, he was an outstanding pitcher. I think he led the league in ERA one time with the Red Sox. And um, he used to hold the World Series consecutive scoreless innings record it was from, like, 1918, I think, to, like, 1961 when Whitey Ford broke it. And he won 90 games as a left-handed pitcher for the Red Sox.
2: Oh, yeah, he was a terrific pitcher. You know, he he was a powerful hitter at the time. Uh, that's why when we talk about somebody like Joey Otani, we compare him to Babe Ruth because nobody's been the combination of hitting and pitching since Yeah, exactly. was a great pitcher 100-plus years ago. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Amazing what's going on, and that of course the big question in the American League for who's the MVP is it Otani who is incredible but on a bad team, or is it Judge who's record-setting home runs on the team that's going to win the division?
1: (laughs) I can tell you he's going to win that. The New York press will prevail, (laughs) as always. You know, and, and you know the interesting thing we've talked we just talked about this is that has anybody in the history of sports ever had a contract year like this? You win the triple crown. You break the American League home run record. I mean, he could get hot. Maybe hit seventy-five home runs. You, you know, it, it's possible. Like you said, <laughs> they've moved him up to first in the batting order to get him more at bats. And I mean, if he hits sixty-one home runs, which is almost guaranteed, is he going to get fifty million dollars? And the Yankees are saying. Dadgum, we should have signed him when we had a chance.
2: Well, they're definitely thinking that now because, it, you know, every every home run should be followed by the sound of a cash register. Right exactly. <laughs> because, yeah, the bank's going to be broken. Uh, if the Yankees uh, don't come up with the money and they're one team that can, somebody else will, including teams like the Angels who have tons of money, too. Or the Dodgers. And the Dodgers, I bet the Mets would make would love to oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> j- oh, yeah. judge in New York. Yeah.
1: I mean the Red Sox might even think, all right, oh, listen, you're gonna what, be part of
2: <laughs> I wonder what he could do to the wall. It's interesting, you know, Maris and Ruth were both left handed hitters, Yankee Stadium being sort of a uh, a left hander's hitter's paradise because of the short porch and right, but Aaron Judge is doing this as a right handed batter. It's an incredible power.
1: Yeah, you always, always used to hear in the old times about what if DiMaggio had been on the Red Sox, and Williams had been on the Yankees. How many home runs would they have had?
2: Oh man,
1: Mr. <laughs> Maggio wasn't really as prodigious a home run hitter as Williams was.
2: Well, no, that's that's true. But you know, the the right field in Boston isn't too bad for home runs either. No, it's <laughs> not. It's like
1: three o two down the line. Yeah, it goes out pretty quickly. Yeah, it
2: does. <laughs> it's the right center, and. They, um, and I, you might know this better than me, but Williams knew how to put the ball the other way off of that wall, too. Yeah, <laughs> he Wade did. Wade Boggs was really good at that. One. He, he was did. the Red Sox.
1: Williams was hard-headed, though. He liked to pull the ball. And, he, you know, that's, <clears throat> that's where they came up with the shift. Lou Boudreau came up with that shift because of Ted Williams. And he refused to go the other way. He would still try to hit it. I mean, he still had a three forty four lifetime batting average, so he did all right. <laughs> and Ruth had a three forty two lifetime batting average.
2: Yeah, those guys could hit. And hit for power. I mean, they, they really were special. You know, it, it's too bad we don't have more footage uh, of them because they they were amazing how they played how they played the game how athletic they were. You know, Ruth was such a big guy. He was bigger than everybody else, bigger and stronger. A lot like what Aaron Judge looks like now. <laughs> he looks he makes the, the other players he plays against look small. And these these are big guys. And
1: Ruth swung a bat that was like a telephone pole. Yeah,
2: yeah. No gloves or anything back then. <laughs> no,
1: no, it really didn't. Well, right now in the second quarter, Virginia Tech leads West Virginia seven to three.
2: So uh, uh, West Virginia, uh, JT Daniels quarterbacking them. And uh, what about Virginia Tech though? They, they, uh, are, you think that they should be good? And you know, we were talking about college football earlier off air, and you know about which teams are good and which teams are not disappointing and which teams look good at first like BYU and then they go to Oregon and absolutely get get killed by an Oregon team that couldn't stay on the field with Georgia. Everybody's been up and down except for Georgia this year.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I got a pet peeve I want to run by you and see what you think. I get tired of hearing some of these national guys say college football is a lot better when fill in the blank is good. (laughs) I, I don't buy that. I think it's exciting no matter what. I mean, it's better for me when the Gators are good, but I don't think nationally that makes any difference. It doesn't matter if it's Georgia, Alabama, whomever it is. I mean, whoever dominates, there's going to be a group of people that root for them, and then you get the bandwagon people that, oh, I've been a Georgia fan since 1902, and you know I've always loved the Bulldogs, and then when they lose, then they're rooting for Alabama or whomever the next time. And then you've got... Those people that say I hate Georgia and I root against them all the time, and no matter who's winning, you get those two groups of people.
2: Well, yeah, I mean it's w- what uh, you know. It's interesting. We wait so long for the college football season to start, and then people throw up their hands and, and give up the the moment their team, you know, struggles to win a yeah. game against a lesser team. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know you know it's uh, uh, sometimes uh, the the expectations uh, or are are not in in you know keeping up with the reality and the reality is for most teams they're going to be ups and downs. I mean, how would you like to be Texas A and M f- uh, fan? They're they've managed to beat Miami, which basically saved their season. Here we are in the third yeah. week, third week of September. But they're still—they don't look that good, and they're supposed to be, you know, world beaters, right? And they, they haven't even played Alabama yet. They haven't played Arkansas yet. They haven't played—you know, they, they haven't played anybody yet, and they lost to Appalachian State at home, and they can't—they they don't have a quarterback. Uh, you know, they're using Brad Johnson's kid. He's transferred from yeah. LSU now, and he's, hes uh, you know, he's decent. But but yeah, how would you like to be them? How would you like how, how did Arkansas barely survive Missouri State uh in last week? That they were getting. Bobby beat. Bobby Petrino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were
1: down seventeen to nothing they were. to them and they came back and won. Can you imagine if Petrino had beaten them?
2: Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. And and Nebraska's already coach hunting, you know. Uh and, and they, they were they're so desperate they, they gave up on their coach uh even though they would have saved a lot of money just by keeping them around for another Three weeks. <laughs>
1: I don't think Trev Alberts would have done that if it'd been his money. <laughs> you know, on one hand, they were afraid that they might beat Oklahoma. I don't think those fears were very well founded. Do you? Oh
2: man, man! Oh, just just in case there was any. And you know what they did after that beatdown was they fired the defensive coordinator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> now there there's dysfunction. If you if if you're a college football fan of any team but Nebraska, just if you start to feel sorry for yourself, just. Just rem- remember, at least we're not Nebraska. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now, if you're Lance Leipold at Kansas, he's got things going in the right direction there. They're undefeated right now. They and, and they look pretty good. Do mm-hmm. you go to Nebraska? I mean, I think they probably would offer him more money. You know, it, but it, you're in the Big Ten, which is good and bad.
2: Uh, you, you know, Ronnie, it's interesting. Obviously, he he looks like a good coach. But I think I think what what you have to ask yourself isn't so much who's the hot name out there is what does our program need yes. and then who yes. is the person who can give us that and, uh, and and i think that you know nebraska just can't you know change a coach or change well, we like frost because of this or we like uh, leopold because of that I, you've got to ask yourself what the problem is in nebraska they, it's been 20 years since they were a contender you know it's hard to believe isn't yeah, it? yeah and they their problem there is structural in nature, And a fresh name, a new coach, isn't necessarily going to cure that. And they have to keep that in mind first if they really want to get back and be a contender in the Big Ten.
1: Well, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we just might have a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Alehouse for you. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF.
3: Hi, this is Steve
5: Spurrier, a former Gator football coach, and you're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. And if you come to Gainesville, stop by Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. We'd love to have you. Go, Gators.
0: Talk radio 96.7. Ronnie O and Coach Joe solidly sitting in the Ozone. And the Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. I know right now, I hear those stomachs growling.
1: You are hungry. You're thirsty. Coach Joe came up with a great sports quiz for tonight. The Gators are going to travel to Knoxville to take on the Volunteers. Now, since 1990, the teams have played every year. Since 1990, Billy Napier is the seventh Gator head coach. When they began playing regularly in 1990, only one Gator coach lost his first game to the Volunteers. Was it A, Steve Spurrier, B, Will Muschamp, or C, Jim McElwain? If you haven't won the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430, and you could be going out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House with that $30 gift certificate. Well, in the interim, we've got a guy who's academically ineligible, Walt. How you doing, Walt?
5: I'm doing good. How are you two guys?
1: Fantastic.
5: Hey, it was great. The break came on because with you, Coach Joe, and myself talking, gave the lines a little rest so it cooled down. <laughs> 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 hey, listen, I was, you know, you talk sports stories. My wife had never flown back in the early 70s. Don't ask me for the exact year. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> I got flown to St. Louis, and one of the perks was we got VIP seats in the – dinner club, and the game started, and Steve Garvey hits a home run under us. Wow. And then the pitching was Bob Forsh against uh, Fernando Valenzuela.
1: Well, you know, Steve Garvey actually came in and co-hosted with me in studio.
5: Right. I should have called in that night, but I can't remember what was going on. But, But real quick. I'll never forget my wife was in awe. She had never flown. She had never been to a major league game. And what was so cool, she even noticed it, was Fernando Valenzuela, when he'd go into his windup, he would always roll his eyes up.
1: Yeah, like he was looking into the sky.
5: <laughs> yeah, and we were so close. We were like the first row right next to, um, in Bush Stadium, next to the Cardinals. And my mother-in-law was a big Cardinals fan. So she, we had to get all kinds of stuff there for her. We got all kinds of autographs, but great baseball to... town, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah, Cardinals were yes.
2: good in the early '80s too. 1982 World Series champions. Bob Force was a great pitcher as well. That was a heck of a matchup.
5: Yeah, I really. The was. Problem was the end of the game was one to nothing.
2: Yeah, with <laughs> pitching like that, sure, <laughs> that's what inevitably what happens there. Speaking of one to nothing, Walt, that's the score right now. The Yankees leading the Red Sox in the bottom of the fifth inning. Uh, Aaron Judge has struck out in this inning, so he is now 0-for-1 with two walks as he chases number 61.
1: Hold on one second, Walt. What we want to know is give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Since 1990, who was the only Gators head coach that lost his first matchup with the Tennessee Volunteers? Was it Steve Spurrier, Will Muschamp, or Jim McElwain? Come on, you got a one-in-three chance there. Six eight two fourteen thirty, six eight two fourteen thirty. I
5: just wanted to give you guys a shout. Thank you, Walt. We appreciate it. Alrighty, take care. Good talking
1: to you. Good
2: talking to you, Walt. You take care, buddy.
1: One of our most knowledgeable callers, Walt. I went to high school with him. You know, speaking of one to nothing, I didn't know this. I'd always thought Sandy Koufax didn't really start pitching in dominant fashion until the nineteen sixties, but in nineteen fifty nine. He matched up in the World Series against the White Sox, and he lost one to nothing. He pitched, I think, seven shutout in, or seven innings, gave up one run. And uh, I didn't know
2: that. That was, yeah, I, I, it, a lot of people don't remember that 1959 World Series. Uh, that was the White Sox and the Dodgers, I believe. That's right. right? And I think the Dodgers eventually pulled it out. They did. Uh, they that won was four their, games to two. It would have been their first World Series championship in Los Angeles. That's correct. Back then and they played at the Coliseum before the stadium was they been open. did. They
1: had a guy named Wally Moon, a left handed hitter that could hit the ball to the opposite field and the way they had to lay it out, they it was very short in left field and he used to hit what they called moon shots. Yeah. And Day, it was so easy they had to put up a screen in left field to keep the balls from flying out so easily.
2: Yeah, it was opposite to right field. I think it was about three thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was that's like right. one of those softball games. There's no fence back there. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, in old Forbes Field, it was so deep in center field that they parked the batting cage during games in center field. <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing. It's mind-boggling when you think about that. That's
2: like Yankee Stadium before the renovation in the early 70s when the monuments were in yeah, play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was still the case. <laughs> I know when they re- re- rebuilt the Yankee Stadium in the mid-70s, they, they, they made that special area behind the wall. but You'd Make it kind of like
1: Goonie Golf. Hit it <laughs> in, the, in the clown's mouth. 682-1430, give us a call. What we want to know is... Who was the only Gator coach to lose his first matchup against Tennessee since 1990? There's been six Gator coaches, but only one of them lost his first matchup. Was it Steve Spurrier, Will Muschamp, or Jim McElwain? 682-1430. You could win that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Alehouse. So give us a call.
2: You know, they're playing NFL football tonight. It's Pittsburgh at Cleveland. And I want to give a congratulations to great Gator Joe Hayden, who announced his retirement uh, today. He signed the one-day contract with Cleveland. He is retiring, getting honored today because he actually played for both Cleveland and Pittsburgh. They're honoring him at the stadium at the game today. And uh, a great player, great player Joe Hayden, part of the 2008 Gator National Championship team. I
1: remember that interception he had against Georgia. I don't remember what year it was. Where he, he intercepted it at about the two-yard line, I think, and ran it back to the four-yard line the other way. He kind of ran out of gas at
2: the end. <laughs> <laughs> you remember what year that was? Um, I want to – was he still around 2010? Because it seems like there was uh, – that might have been then. Or
1: Was that the, the year when, our, when Chaz Henry, our punter, had to be the place kicker? Yes. And <laughs> um, we won in overtime on a field goal – and their defensive coordinator was, what's the guy's name we had last year? Um,
2: uh, oh, yeah, Grantham. Yeah, was against Georgia. he made that choke sign Yeah,
1: <laughs> on the sideline. Yeah. Well, we don't have a winner yet. We need a winner. Give us a call. We'll hang around for a little while, 682-1430, 682-1430, and you could win that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Alehouse. Coach Joe and I must have stumped you. Coach Joe, you made it too hard, and we made it so easy
2: well i'll give you the answer next week
1: all right there you go